welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined by AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Treaders. G'day, Monty. How are you? Good, buddy. Now, we're back with our sports business wrap, covering the latest big money moves in Australia and around the world, and plenty happening as usual in the last week or so. You can get the notes and key stats from today's chat in our newsletter at www.thebigdeal.au. So make sure you're subscribed to that. Now, let's jump straight into it, Treaders. The big one that we've all been talking about is the AFL's racism investigation regarding Hawthorne. It's wound up in messy fashion. We've been talking a lot about it in the weeks gone by. Now that the uh, they've officially pulled the pin on it, Treaders, what do you make of it? Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? It was Chris Fagan's legal team were threatening to uh, put an injunction in the proceedings um, and then also gave, I think, the uh, Indigenous Party or the, the, the unnamed crew at that stage um, and the people who were believed to have been aggrieved, you gave them the opportunity to say, hey, do you want to step away from this and want to quash it? Or if I put an injunction, I'll be forced to name you and then some of the evidence or lack of evidence will come out. All of a sudden, within 24 hours, um, the AFL has announced that there was um, no, no findings, um, but it's since gone on that uh, people have been named and legend Hawks player, multiple premiership player, Sue Rioli, has joined with uh, former Hawks teammate Carl Peterson and Jermaine Miller-Lewis. The Indigenous families are now taking their stories to the Human Rights Commission, so they've pretty much described the process as a public shit show, and I agree with them. It, it's been horrible from... Anyone outside, uh, you've got coaches and people involved in Hawthorne, um, Fagan and uh, Bert and Alistair Clarkson saying we're innocent. You've got the playing group or the players in this uh, process saying they've been aggrieved. And Hawthorne now potentially look like they may be punished as part of this shit show. Um, rightfully so, or have they been thrown under the bus? That's the big question because really no one has any information. And an eight or nine months investigation um, the people who were accused of certain things weren't actually provided with any evidence. Um, all their names had been sullied in the public media. Um, and I think the AFL's got to stand up to this one because re- realistically, the AFL loves to wrap it up in a bow, come to a mediation, everyone agree, where the money gets paid, it all just goes away. Well, this one, you had two um, parties. One, we didn't do anything wrong. The other party saying, yes, they did do wrong and no one was going to meet in the middle. So... I think the AFL, this one will be a situation where it keeps giving from a public shit show perspective um, because the people feel aggrieved and the coaches don't think they've done anything wrong and I don't think there is any middle ground, but Alastair Clarkson has still stepped down and out of the game right now. Yeah, so I mean, what do you reckon for the Hawks? Because um, you know, in the AFL's press conference, they're almost indirectly angling uh, and suggesting that Hawthorne could still be under the pump here and the punishment could be quite severe yeah and the punishment will come under that clause of bringing the game into disrepute well what does that mean well that means just if there's a public pr battle that doesn't look good on the game well you're you're effectively in-house guilty so 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether this Human Rights Commission um, findings or when they go to the Human Rights Commission, whether they come back with anything. I think the AFL will sit quiet and let this go away until then. Um, and, yeah, realistically, it's just brought the game into disrepute. It's brought, um, you know, if these allegations are correct at Hawthorne, then someone will need to pay a significant price. Um, the people involved are saying we're innocent. Well, I think we're going to get to the bottom of actually whether there is fa- anything, any fabric to this or this is just some some faceless allegations. You know, that's the two ways to find it. And I don't think anyone knows. We can sit here and comment all we like, but no one has any information. And even the key people haven't been interviewed and answered any of these so-called charges after eight months. It just... it. it it just doesn't sit any um, – I know any findings or any um, punishments generally have to follow a legal-type process, and nothing looks like anything's happened from this. So where to now for Clarko then? Well, I think he'd return to coaching. You'd say he'd return to coaching if he's fit and well, mentally. Um, and even there's some allegations around yo know, him stepping down. Um, was it because it immediately happened after he blew his stack and, and, and revealed a lot of information and called on Hawthorne a disgrace. Uh, I'm, I'm ad-libbing or sort of talking about, yeah, not quoting exactly what he said at the time, but it was a really interesting press conference that he went out and pretty much said, I've been treated poorly, this all falls on Hawthorne, and then all of a sudden he steps down and goes away. And I'm not saying he hasn't stepped down and gone away for the right reasons, but no one likes anyone in this game um, speaking out. And I suspect, just from my gut feel, with no evidence, is to say the AFL might have said, hey, mate, take some time, step away, look after your mental health, and, and we'll sort this out. So uh, I just think that, you know, AFL hasn't handled this well, Hawthorne hasn't handled this well, and then you've got two agreed parties that look like they'll never come to a, a conclusion or, or any agreements whatsoever. Yeah, I think the heat must surely be on the AFL. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit over the journey, how... The AFL kind of creates its own world, its own ecosystem with its own set of rules and laws and whatever, and it very much likes to keep keep it that way. But what we're seeing now is this investigation is spilling out, and they're losing control of it, and it's going before uh, you know external commissions and other lawyers, and the real law, the actual law that the rest of us are under, is actually um, influencing what's going on here, and. The AFL is losing touch, so it is going to be really interesting to see how the how the league responds. And we know that they hate losing control of a situation. They've certainly they've certainly lost this one. Absolutely. Now, your club, Port Adelaide Treaders, and uh, unfortunately, it is going to continue to come up <laughs> as long as they keep winning. Since you had a crack at them, they've just ticked over a club record winning streak. Uh, how do you feel about it, sir? Oh. Well, how we feel about how my team's going, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, because when I ripped into them, what do I want? I want some performance. I want them to lift it. I want them to start winning games. But, hey, did I expect nine on the trot? No way. Absolutely no way. From what I was seeing and the, after I spoke in round three, they were playing, lost form, lost competitiveness, and they certainly they were losing on the footy field. Well, since then, Something's clicked, hasn't it? They made some changes on field. Yeah, the coach has gone to the bench. Um, you know, the place seems like it's a desperate place again to desperately win. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think all Port fans would be really impressed. Oh, I've been really impressed with the fight because as much as you say nine wins, it's absolutely nine wins. But five of those, I think, have come from under 10 points. And 
and what, I'm actually four from under 10 points and then one from under 15. Well, that's just holding in grit. And in a lot of those games, I've called every game um, with 5AA uh, as a commentator. And every, you know, the first game against Sydney, they're outplayed by Sydney, but they hang in and they won. You know what I mean? And Sydney had a couple injuries. Then the Bulldogs, for three quarters of the game, the Bulldogs were winning that game uh, in Gather Round in Adelaide. And then they put on a barnstorming last quarter and Port Adelaide win. So their ability to St Kilda, the same thing, I think for probably two and a half quarters of that game, St Kilda was the better team, but Port Adelaide won. So that's what every footy fan's hoping for. Um, but yeah, everyone will, will just choose my words untenable that I said, as opposed to all the other things I asked for at the time. But you know what? I don't care. My old team's winning. Good on them. Um, happy, uh, happy to cut the they, heat. Oh, it is what it is. You know what I mean? And, you know, yeah. and all these people are trying to say, well, yeah, you, you've said it. You, know, you, you take Some people are saying that I'm taking credit. Um, some fans are saying if I didn't speak out, it wouldn't happen. Well, you know what? The outside noise put, can put a little bit of pressure on, but no one from outside can control how hard a player tries, um, a change of tactics. Um, you know, the coaches and players are there for a reason. And, you know, I, I live that life. You know, you cop that publicly. Sometimes you use it as a, a banner to stick it up someone and sometimes people just don't care. Like reality is they're winning games of footy and they're a good team to watch play now. They're a desperate footy team. I still yes. think Collingwood the best team. And I reckon Porter in that next bunch with Brisbane, with Melbourne, with Geelong, who are coming, and the Western Bulldogs. And the next two weeks they've got, um, they just belted Hawthorne, who were really uncompetitive last week. But they've got so the Western Bulldogs this Friday night, six-day break, followed by another six-day break, Geelong. Um, and Geelong's at home, Western Bulldogs is in Melbourne. So they might go to the split round, um, what, 12-2. and two. It'll be like, Wow. And full credit to them because they're moving the magnets too on the footy field. You know, they put butters into the middle yeah. and a few things like that, and they're, they're playing good footy. Now, what about uh, over at Adelaide uh, with the Crows? Tom Dude, geez, just some really tough luck for him with injury at the wrong time. Where to for him, Tredis? Yeah, well, he's out of contract end of the year. He's a restricted free agent. He's a Melbourne boy. I know Geelong's had a lot of interest. He's 26 years of age which is your perfect age to cash in on your contract. But the reliability in his body is a massive issue. And every player's been there at certain stages. Some people, to a lesser extent than others, when you played 350 or 400 games. But, you know, he's played 82 games in six years, an average of 13.6 a year. That's not not enough. Um, The key to free agency and getting a big offer and, and maybe moving home for both the team that's losing their club player in compensation or the player themselves who's going is that the better footy you are, the more reliable your body is, the better your pay packet and, and the, the most valuable your position is. So if you're a key forward or a key back or a gun midfielder or, or a ruckman who's on that market, then you've got to get the top dollar. But what will scare a team off is if a player is susceptible to injury. And Duda's had two knee reconstructions. Um, obviously the current one, which is about to happen, the last one was 2019. I think that was his left knee. This one's his right knee. It's not ideal. So anyone now enticing Duday can go, we're going to pay him, but we're also going to pay him understanding that 12 months from now, he's not going to be playing the game. Yeah, At best, he'll return sort of the midway marker next year. Um, so at 27 years of age, you might get a, a, a three good years out of him on a four-year contract. Um so really, that'll just come down to the individual club and what they're willing to risk. But if he was an eight hundred thousand dollar player on the open market, 
I suspect he might be a six fifty or seven hundred thousand. And the club who's going to do it is going to have to entice him, knowing full well that he won't be available for most part of next year, which clearly has to hurt his price. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah, we we normally see it unfold the other way. You know, where the you know the big star just at the right time makes his strategic switch. I mean, how do you think he's he's processing? The, the change in fortune with his management at the moment. Oh, he'd be just shaking his head probably. Um, his neck, you know, and the sporting world moves very quickly because he'll then move to, okay, my knee's no good, got to get the swelling out of it. Now I've got to go have surgery, go meet with some surgeons, work out what's the best option to take, what sort of surgery we'll want to have, um, and then embark on that next rehab phase. So it probably includes going, once the surgery's done a few weeks later, go away on a holiday and getting away and, effectively having a mental break. But the reality is in this situation, you leave it up to your manager to do that. You know, he may stay at the Adelaide Crows and, and they may put a four or five-year deal to him and support him through that, absolutely. But the reality is now the people offering the money, the clubs, probably hold more of the bargain than the player themselves does because we, we've seen it. You know, Brad Crouch left Adelaide. Um, he was a restricted free agent. Adelaide didn't match his deal, but the St Kilda deal was good, but it wasn't probably be as good as he played 12 months as a, almost all Australian midfielder. That, that's just part and parcel of the process. If you're not available to play, then uh, the one thing that can dictate the change, as I said, is, is your form. And if your form's good and you're healthy, um, and in this case, his form's okay, he's now not playing, he's had a history of getting injured, uh, and two big injuries, two knee recons, average 13 games a year is not enough to pay an absolute premium. So sadly, um, he just won't get the maximum deal that he would have previously got because form dictates everything. Now, uh, on the topic of big deals, we've been following Ange Postacoglu's movements with Celtic and the potential we thought was uh, potential for a, a move to the Premier League with Tottenham. Well, traders, it looks like it's pretty much a done deal. Yep, and it looks like history repeats because when he went to Celtic, everyone's going, Ange, who? Even some um, media analysts have pretty much done the, um, okay, is Postacoglu the Tottenham a good choice? Yes, vote here. No, vote here. You know, on Twitter. Or unsure, vote here. Apparently, it's thirty, almost 33% every time. So it's a third of everyone. So no one really knows. And you know what Ant did? The first thing he did is won over the fans. You know, he plays an attacking brand of, of football. Um, so as you say, yeah, it's reportedly a two-year deal with an option of the third year um, to go to Tottenham. Well, Spurs, and, and, and this is funny because you go normally, well, when Mourinho went there or Pochettino went there or now all these other managers that have gone there recently um, have sat back and gone, well, now there's a four or five year and a massive tens of millions of dollar payout. Well, because Postacoglu is only a two-year deal with an option, that's a lot less. And he comes from Celtic too, where he actually had a rolling one-year contract, which is unheard of, really. It's almost like an employment agreement. So... The word around is that Celtic will get about $10 million Aussie in compensation um, so they get their man and release him. Now, Postacoglu become Tottenham's top choice after final boss and a slot withdrew. Well, I've even heard some European co- uh, commentators and Danny Murphy, former Liverpool player and, and Fulham player, said, well, I think this is a better choice than the final boss because Celtic are a massive club. So when he goes to Tottenham, he knows that he's going to be under pressure. And, and, and Ange has really handled everything he's done, and he's caught barrages wherever he's gone, whether it was the Brisbane Roar or it was the Melbourne Victory or it was Australia and Celtic, and he's won over the fans and won over people with results. Um, 
Spurs also talked to former Bayern Munich boss uh, Julian Nagsman um, about the vacancy, ex-Bay manager Luis Henrique, yeah, Fulham boss Marco Silva. So they're saying that, oh, yeah, this is the fullback guy, but I, I think it sets up really perfectly for him. Now, this is a massive move um, because, yeah, Celtic, because he's won five out of six titles in the last two years. That's after Rangers, their arch rival, when Steven Gerrard was manager, won the title and broke uh, Celtic's reign. So... He came in, he brought in new players, he plays attacking brand, and the fans have really come in before. But as we know, Spurs have been a basket case. They haven't won anything for years. A few years ago, it was under Pochettino. They got to a Champions League final and lost. Um, and then you talk about what he's going to inherit. Well, he's going to er- inherit the best player, best English striker, arguably of all time, who's chasing um, Alan Shearer's record. And, and that's um, Harry Kane. But the word is that he's only got one more year left on his deal and Real Madrid want him to replace Karim Benzema, who's off to Saudi Arabia. So there could be a clean-out of players that go too. So, now he could be an all-time great at the end of this. You know, Tottenham haven't won something. If he wins a title for Tottenham, he'll go into the Hall of Fame instantly. So I really like this. I'm an Arsenal fan. I don't like Tottenham, but I really like Ange. Interviewed him many years ago uh, when I was working in radio and he'd just taken over the Socceroos. He's a blue bagger. He's a Carlton footy man. So he's probably sitting over there going, do we keep Michael Voss or not? But he knows that industry. Um, so, yeah, oh, I think this is great. I think it's amazing for Australian soccer. Um, by him being at Celtic now, by him being at Tottenham, people will talk about Australia soccer. He, he's, he has a journeyman. And I love this. He's a tools guy. So it's not like, oh, yeah, I've come from being a great player to gone into management and done well at a little gig and got a big gig. So I playing name. He's got a guy who's just – he started South Melbourne. You know, he, he went yeah. – he went under, I think it was under 16s or under 18s for Australian soccer. Then he got sacked and then he went to Brisbane. And, you know, he's gone the full journey. And um, what you see is what you get. And that's what I love about him. Yeah. And you're right. This is this is massive for Australia. Like, it's going to put us on the map. Um, but, yeah, as you said, it's, it, is a, it is a high-risk move because we know how how ruthless the Premier League is, irrespective of whatever contract he signs. It actually doesn't matter. If things aren't looking good, they'll kick his ass out. And, you know, it's pretty hard to come back once you've, for someone like him who may not have the the big credible name internationally, yes, he could he could come away from this as an absolute legend if he turns them around. But, but equally, if things don't go well in a year or two, it could be that Premier League dream could be all over pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I, I can agree with your points in some of it, but not all of it. Because I look at it and go, Tottenham's been terrible. They had Mourinho. Pochettino got him to a Champions League final and then they weren't happy with him and flicked him. Well, this guy is a so-called, you know, another end like manager. Also, I come from Yesterfield. Yeah, we'll give this guy a go. Well, you know what? I reckon it's there for him to turn it around because if Tottenham sack him, well, they've sacked the best, some of the best managers in the world. So he's not alone and he's proven he can do it at Celtic. This is his good opportunity at a top 10 club, you know, top six, top eight club. Tottenham have always been around the mark, um, European places not. So for him, he gets to step in and a clean slate and start again. He'll probably have a little bit of patience to be where they've got because if they if they sell their Harry Kane, well, people, people aren't going to expect someone to put 25 in the net like Harry Kane does every year. So I think it's his big roll of the dice at a big club and how he goes here could dictate where he goes any higher but this might be the biggest club he ever manages if it fails. Well, he'll still have roles in the bottom half of the Premier League, in the Championship, in Scotland. 
in, in other leagues around the world. It's just that this is his probably big roll of the dice to go to superstardom and good on him. Mm. Have a crack and, as they say, jump on the wave and see how long it lasts. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned Benzema. Um, again, lured by the, the big money of Saudi Arabia. So he's looking at a at a deal with um, Al Ittihad on a rumoured two-year deal uh, around 100 million euros uh, with one-year options. So that's not bad money. Uh, we've been talking about Messi heading to Saudi Arabia as well. His deal is looking like they, they're going to be signing off on that pretty soon. You know, just a lazy $1.9 billion deal. Like, it's pretty insane. But they reckon that Saudi Arabia is spending, yeah, like well over a, a billion dollars on these players at the moment, looking at 20 foreign stars. What do you think about that? Well, it's it's huge. We saw it with Ronaldo go there. Ronaldo would be annoyed if Messi does go there. There's also talk that Messi could go back to Barcelona, um, but they've got to create space because, you know, they've had some financial challenges. But it's funny the Benzema deal because Benzema had re-signed with Real Madrid for another year. And because he's been a stalwart and a superstar, and he joins at the same time Ronaldo did. So he's been there many years. Um, he won FIFA Player of the Year last year. So, um, And they let him opt out of that contract. So the reality is he's gone to a um, probably walked away from a $10, $12, $14 million deal at uh, Real Madrid to now take up a, a $100 million deal for two years. It's, it's, it's telephone numbers. And it's all tied into promotional for the big FIFA events that they're going to to walk out and you know Ronaldo's involved in that um so the, the government is pretty much saying that they want to sign um as you say 20 foreign stars to join the top league and they want the league to be in the top five best in the world well, it's going to take some time you're going to need some talent but I just think that any good lower level is done off grassroots you know Spain's good France is good you know England's good why Germany's good because the kids grow up playing the sport you know Saudi Arabia I'm not sure I'm not sure it's got the grassroots, but maybe maybe their attitude is a little bit like when the AFLW started in Australia. Um, get this league up and going, and then we'll then put the resources in the lower level to push through. And if they do that, I think it'll be really successful like AFLW has done because they started and launched this, this, se- this season that was seven or eight games a year. Then all of a sudden, the resources come. You look what happened to local footy levels, you know, change room upgrades, Women's teams, some 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 teams um, and local footy clubs in, in Adelaide that I've visited over the journey have gone from so we had five um, boys teams, but we've got twenty one women's t- girls teams. You know what I mean? So I think the grassroots is probably where their big play is, but also too to to get the big names to support their their agendas, and also try and effectively hijack all the all the major events. Europe, you know. Champions, um, uh, World Cups, all those sorts of things coming out. Yeah. I mean, as you say, you can't buy culture. You can't just all of a sudden spend billions of dollars and, and kind of instantly turn on a, a really successful league. But, you know, like having spent a bit of time working in junior development in the sporting world, like the, it's the, the these kind of moves will spark kind of this potentially new culture if they can maintain it. Yeah. So that's the thing because like bringing these stars in will, will absolutely get all the youngsters going, yeah, I'm, I'm, all of a sudden I'm into soccer, great. But it's only going to be sustainable if they can maintain it and keep the stars coming. And that'll be interesting what this will look like in 10 years' time if these 
funds can continue to come through. I mean, we you know we had an interview with Professor David Roberts, you know, a while ago, and he was saying that there is a finite amount of cash. It's actually not going to be there forever. So whether they can maintain it uh, is going to be interesting. Yeah, what other sports doing this at the moment? Live golf, isn't it? Yeah, you know, different theory. Attract the superstars, take them to areas where they haven't gone. And as as uh, we've spoken about on previous episode. I went about two k's from where I live here at the Grange Golf Club, where I used to be a member, and I watched Dustin Johnson and Louis Osthausen and uh, Cam Smith walk around the local course I used to play, playing and live golf. It was amazing. So maybe this is this is the theory. So people who might not get to other areas of the world to watch, you know, Real Madrid or um, you know when Ronaldo was at Real Madrid or when he was at Juventus or he was at um, Manchester United. Now they can actually go and watch him play locally um, in, in Saudi Arabia. So uh, I think in, in time, people are putting resources into games for the goodwill and hopefully from junior development, which I hope the plan is, then I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. Now over to cricket, Australia and India are facing off again. Uh, and there's more than just bragging rights at play, Treaders. Yeah, well, this is it's only three months since the Border Gavaskar Trophy in Australia and India um, was played in and all of a sudden, uh, we're doing the World Test Championship, which starts on Wednesday night, Australian Eastern. Both nations eyeing the maiden title, officially being crowned the world's best test team, but there's some massive money. And how's this? The victors will be awarded $1.6 million US dollars. So that's $2.7 million Aussie. And the runner pocketing $800,000 US dollars, which is $1.2 million Aussie. So not to mention, they get paid to their normal base contracts, their normal test match contracts, and this is part of the prize money that they'll they'll share as well. So this one will be interesting too because, you know, when, when we go to India, you know, the, the talk was around, oh, well, look at these pitches that are doctored or when they come out to Australia, you go, oh, look at the Aussie pitches and bounce that India don't normally have and all this. And then you see the IPL six weeks after the test um, series is played and the pitches look totally different, look like a road as opposed to spinning sideways off the first ball of a the uh, test well this is playing in england um at lords and it's going to be you know english conditions which is totally different again so i think it'll be really interesting and i think the ratings will be pretty highly too because you know much as we're bumped into a footy season um there's nothing better than a midweek sort of test match that's going on where you can watch in prime time as you're eating your dinner and stay up to the late night to watch the whole tests uh, unveil that's it now the uh, something else that we've been keeping an eye on for a while is the the crypto collapse and its impact on sport because you know all the big crypto companies really plugged into sport when when the markets were sky high and then uh, things hit the wall pretty quickly and it got pretty ugly um, and big name players leagues and clubs were affected the NFLPA is picking up the pieces from the the global collapse. You know, as I said, it's really stung the sports industry. The union's annual report recently filed with the U.S. Department of Labor, uh, detailing a shortfall of something like forty-two million dollars U.S. Uh, what's been happening there, traders? What, like, like, what's been the reason for this? Um, where's that at? Well, we talk about the forty-two million in accounts receivable through one team partners, right? So this is a joint venture between the NFLPA and several other pro athlete unions in the US, like including the US national soccer team and among others. And they're pretty much saying the uncertainty surrounding the collection of the cash. So it's time to pay, and it's uncertain. So it's all great to have the name on your stadium or name on your jersey, but uh, as we always sort of suspected with the crypto bubble, 
is that, yeah, there's some people that make a lot of money and then there's some people that, you know, get into a buying an NFT or something on, on a crypto chain that they don't even actually know what it does or whether it's a, a big hot pie or a, one that'll crash. So the unpaid funds look to be connected to the collapse of the non-fungible tokens, so NFTs. So as much as everyone's gone all in, you know, we see NBA team sponsorships, we also see one, the AFL's got one with crypto.com. Um, not all of them are bad, but some of them who are, sort of want to get great waves and create waves and get massive money in and sign these deal when everything's going well. Well, as we've seen that, you know, since Christmas time, you know, the, the market has turned a little bit. You know, at one stage, the Bitcoin dollar was, what was it, 90, 80, 90,000 um, uh, Aussie dollars uh, per yeah. coin. And now it's almost half. So, you know, I think this is, it was always going to test teams. And sadly, um, I think we're going to, we're going to see this uh, effect sports and and revenue simply because like anything sometimes people just can't pay and this is one that they're going to have to keep a big eye on because it's it's huge and and it spreads far and wide to multiple sports yeah the the nfts in particular have been painful because a lot of athletes got caught up in that because the nfts were really tied to like uh memorabilia and licensing and things like that and the the use case seemed really positive and i think still is on the surface but just the value of everything that they've got involved in has just completely gone through the floor. So the cash just simply isn't there. Um, so it's going to be pretty tough for the NFLPA to to chase up the dollars here, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. Unbelievable. But, um, yeah, we moved to tennis at the French Open and the Japanese ball girl. What's going on there, Monty? Yeah, lots of drama. There's um, There was the... The doubles, the, the duo, Miyu Kato, they posted an official apology after she and her partner were incredibly defaulted from the tournament. This is massive. Like you don't you don't see that often. Came about because the Japanese player struck a ball girl as she returned a ball over the other side of the net. And it looked looked pretty terrible because, you know, the poor ball girl was visibly shaken and crying. You know, when you actually saw the replay, yeah, okay, like, yeah, it was bad, but bad enough to actually get defaulted i don't know uh, it comes at a massive cost because the players they forfeit all their ranking points they don't, they don't get any of the 70 grand in prize money that they would have received for for making the third round so i mean what do you think pretty heavy punishment yeah well, it's a massive punishment but also a very uh, you talk about that heavy punishment but also what about poor sportsmanship because Voskova and uh, Tormo, who threw their opponents under the bus, effectively pushing for him to be defaulted. So um, th- this comes after Djokovic said some political statements a week ago. It looks as if it's all imploding. People are all coming out. People, yeah, people are, it's under the bus central. You know, it's not, it's just a, depends how many tyres you're hitting at the moment, quite literally. I haven't heard much about the tennis, to be honest, but lots about all the political and all the other dramas going on around it. It's been incredible. Yeah, well, that probably sells you where things have gone nowadays. We're more focused on someone who wants to be outlandish or who says something that might not be politically correct as opposed to actually the game of tennis. And the game the game is is the sport. It's just the drama that keeps everything. And, and you know, as we've spoken about here, we talk about the AFL Hawthorne situation. We talk about um, basketball. Why? Oh, crypto companies and nfts can't pay their bills or sponsorship like this is it's an interesting world and and it keeps sport keeps getting caught in these situations of actually not focusing on what actually makes them great which is sport themselves Uh, it's the drama that everyone gets caught up in every single time and yeah we talk about the um drama there's no bigger drama generally than the um 
NBA finals. If it's if it's not John Morant with a gun, alleged gun the other week on social media getting suspended. Well, the series is now NBA finals is locked at 1-1. Uh, Jokic is on five, finishing game one with 27 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists, joining Jason Kidd as the only player to get a triple-double on their NBA finals debut. But He's absolutely flogging it at the moment. He is flogging them. And and he is so powerful and big, and his shot is that good. It's almost like they're just... I don't think they've got an answer for this bloke. You know what I mean? You know, nine triple doubles this season's playoffs already, which is an NBA record. But we talk about the drama. It was only last week we were talking about LeBron, where they got swept for zip, and then all of a sudden I might not be playing. But now there's talk around that his mate, Kyrie Irving, who he played in the championship with the Cavs, um, they're looking at a reunion. And we talked last week about how that was going to be LA, but it may not be LA because it, the word around is that Irving is now pushing for LeBron to join him at Dallas. Well, Mark Cuban owns Dallas. Mark Cuban likes a deal. He could see the financial side of getting, um, having his own big three because Luka Doncic is a jet, right? You throw in LeBron who's aging but still can put up pretty good numbers. And then you get Kyrie Irving, hopefully keep him happy. Then all of a sudden, um, they become a genuine contender because you know they, they fell away at the end of last year. But the big question is whether LeBron can get his contract um, with the Lakers you know, for $46.9 million next season. And he holds a $50.6 million option for 24-25. So that's what, the, um, that's what Dallas would have to inherit. And no doubt, part with some decent picks to get him on board. So... I'm not sure that's a good deal, but it it, it brings couldn't some, happen. Surely it, it it up your season ticket prices a fair bit if LeBron's coming. Oh, that is, gosh, that would be left field if it happened, but surely it won't. I mean, we can we can speculate. We love we love talking about some of the Mark Cuban's a businessman, true, and if you could find a way for it to stack up and he could pinch it a championship, he might look at it. Very interesting. Or, we'll keep or, following that or one. Monty. Or another thought, or is this a game of bluff again for the Lakers to go and get Irving before they actually might lose LeBron? So they're thinking, if we lose LeBron, we're starting again with not a huge amount of picks to rebrand a team. Maybe this is a game of bluff, as we said, the game outside the game. Yeah, and we talked about that last week, how you know LeBron isn't silly and he is behind the scenes politically orchestrating whatever he needs to do <laughs> to get his mate over or whatever it is. So, yeah, the, the game behind the game is interesting. Um, so we'll see what happens. All right, Treaders. Well, uh, it's been another big wrap. I'm really excited about the Ange stuff. That's the big takeaway from me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one get announced. And, you know, to be honest, at the time of recording, it isn't official yet, but it could happen within minutes or, or hours. So we'll follow that one. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Maybe you can get the notes from today's chat in our newsletter. Just visit www.thebigdeal.au and don't forget to tap that button and subscribe to The Big Deal on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.